Danny, you have some news? Yes, um, if my voice sounds weird, uh, it's because this episode is coming to you live during the first time ever I have had COVID-19. We were going to record this a couple days ago, and I canceled because I had a sore throat, but don't worry, I had a COVID-negative test. And then yesterday, I went to the doctor to get sinus medicine, because I assume this was just a sinus infection or an allergy issue. And the doctor smartly was like, well, let's give you a COVID test again anyway. And I got a positive on that one. So I am in quarantine at the moment. And if you're worried at home about Mark, don't worry. He is in New York City, and I am in Chicago. So we are okay. <laughs> well, it's it's funny that you say that, because I am currently in the middle of my own COVID drama. Dun, um, dun, dun. Yeah, there might be something related to the... Might It might be in the cast of the show that I'm in right now. So I also got tested today, and I got... A negative on my rapid test, but we'll see tomorrow if I'm, you know, actually negative, and then I'll do what you did and go back in two days and or one day and take it again. Yeah. So yeah. So party. We're all Although, inside right now. In all honesty, I'm pretty impressed that I made it to about. I think it's been about two and a half years, right? I made it two and a half years about getting COVID. That's. That's pretty pretty good for me. <laughs> yeah, I made and it you, pretty long. And you said that you're. I mean, you had like a fever night, and now you're kind of. Well, the issue out. is just my sore throat, and uh, thing is, I thought so. Here's the thing: I saw a movie a couple weeks ago with my dad on Father's Day, and during the movie, I had post nasal drip the whole time, just because that's what happens when the allergies are so heavy here in the Midwest. And I've had it since I've seen Top Gun Maverick. And considering when I know I got, oh, sorry, I wasn't supposed to say the movie because, spoiler alert, it might be one of the ten I do for a game later. Uh, <laughs> but, uh. Well, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, I just assumed that with my, um, my nose, like my nasal, post-nasal drip, it was just allergy stuff. But my point is, is that I know when I went with my dad, I didn't have it yet because I was exposed to people Afterwards, I was about to say where I was exposed to them, which I can't say on the podcast, but I was exposed to people last week. So, you know what we should say about this week's episode before we actually get into it, and we can still talk about random stuff before then, is that yeah. this is a very monumental episode for two reasons. First thing is, it is a first feature film we'll be covering. I have a lot to talk about. I don't know if you have a lot to talk about. I, I also have do. a lot to talk about. Okay, good, good. Game what? time. Yes, my game is the letterbox game. It's a game about letterbox. The sorry, a hair fell in my mouth. <laughs> the, game... <laughs> the game about the uh, famous social media review publishing website Letterboxd. What I do is I look at a list of the last ten movies I saw in theaters or some variety of that. That part doesn't really matter. I actually just did the ten films I watched right after the last time we recorded because i'm pretty sure by the time we record next i will not have you know uh, i won't have i won't have watched 10 movies by then so i saved those ones for next time but anyway i have 10 movies here mark is going to pick a number one through 10 and letterbox add this feature where it says algorithmically what uh their you know movies are what is the most similar film so i'll give mark the top five films I'll remove films from the same franchise or by the same director. And yeah, Mark has to guess what movie it is. After two guesses, I'll give him the year it came out. And then afterwards, I'll keep giving him what the next movie is that's similarly similar to it. Also, Mark just uh, showed off the Second Amendment rights to me for some reason. And I'm unsure why. Oh, I just I realized that I'm sitting next to a little prop, little blunderbuss thing that I have for a prop. So I was just like, Do you remember my orange gun in school. My great gun. My great orange oh. gun. Yeah, you I think I do, actually. I love my prop yeah. gun. I should find It's at home. I remember a you... couple of years ago. Actually, it was in 2020 because I went home. Wow, we got a detour in right before we even uh, started talking yeah. about the episode. But it's okay. But I went you know, I went home in 2020 because of the pandemic. And when we were getting gearing back to go back to work, you know, I had the, I, I had the second graders that year. I can say that because it's two years ago now. Uh, and we had a Zoom meeting where we introduced who I was, like, 
whose kids were in whose groups. Uh, and I just noticed the gun was like at my feet and like we were doing a scavenger hunt and it was like, show us something tasty. And I like brought up a cream puff I bought that morning from like a bakery. So every kid was jealous of it. Uh, but then when I was like, find something orange, I just looked right at the gun and I was like, I cannot show that on the zoom call with these parents here. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. Uh, anyway, so pick a number one through 10 and I will give you, we'll do three again because I think we like okay. doing three, but give me your first number one through 10. Seven. Seven. All right. Ooh, this is probably the toughest one. All right. So number seven, your options are Jay and Silent Bob strike back. Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber 2. Big Trouble, Scary Movie. Do you want me to repeat them? No, I think I'm all right. Um, was it the Key and Peele movie with the cat? It was not Keanu. Was it Superstar? I don't even know what that is. No, it wasn't. All right, the year this movie came out oh, was... Oh, I'm 19- thinking of Popstar. I oh. should have said the Lonely Island movie without the cat. Oh, it's funny. Uh, no, it was. it's not pop star either. Um, but okay. your year is 1996. Clerks? Nope. The next movie you get is Me, Myself, and Irene. The Cable Guy? No. All right. Your next film. And, well, do you want me to give an extra hint to this, or do you want me to just give you the film? Give me one more film and then say I lost. Uh, this is the Simpsons movie. So for the listeners, if they want to try to guess one last time, and Mark, if he wants to recap on what all seven movies are, uh, <laughs> it's Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, Dumb and Dumber, Dumb and Dumber 2, Big Trouble, Scary Movie, Me, Myself, and Irene, and The Simpsons Movie. And the film released in 1996. Who's in Big Trouble? Ah, uh, let me click. I have no idea. I don't know what this movie is. It's a Tim Allen movie directed by Barry Seinfeld. Hmm. The Adams Family? Nope. No, remember, I, I removed the directors. I removed the So it was a Barry Seinfeld. Yeah, oh, man, you're right. You I just, okay. Do you want another um, guess before you give up? Because that was not a real guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Oh, yeah, and then it wouldn't be Clerks either. Um, yeah. No, no it would. I don't, I, don't, I don't have another guess. All right, so the hint I was going to give you in addition is that the Simpsons movie is the best hint here. Does that help you at all? Honestly, no, because, I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, what is that short? No, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't know at all. The movie I watched in preparation for a sequel that just came out that I'm not going to watch because I didn't like this was Beavis and Butthead do America. Beavis and Butthead movie. Yeah, you're like. I oh. should have guessed. The, well, I mean, uh, well, honest, honestly, I was, I was. You really gave that one to me, and I, I'm just not familiar with them at all. I mean, I wasn't either until I watched it. So you're good. Mm-hmm. All right, give me another number one through ten. Four. The Lego Movie. Bolt. Treasure Planet. How to Train Your Dragon: The Hidden World, and Wreck It Ralph. So it's animated. It sounds like it came out 2010s. And it's... I'm going to say it's not a mainline Disney thing. But it is CGI. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I just, I'm just being goofy. I'm just, <laughs> yeah, I know, I'm trying to like explain my thought process. Um, and then I'm also... See, I really would love to just rattle things off and keep it moving, and I just cannot think of move Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs? Incorrect. Okay. That would not be on there, because it's directed by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, and the Lego movie is directed by Phil Lord and Chris Miller. <clears throat> Frank and Weenie. That's a bad guess. It is a bad guess. Do you want the year? Yeah. 2022. Wow. Um, 
So maybe this is a current thing that you, you might have seen it in theaters. Do I know it's in theaters? Do maybe I know it's in... Th- I don't know if you know if it's in theaters. I would I, assume you would know this is in theaters. I'll put it that way. If you didn't know this was in theaters, I'd be a little confused. Hmm. Oh, uh, what's it? No, because that's the same director. Um, I don't know it. All right, well, then you get two more films before you give up, okay? All right. So the next film you get is Big Hero 6. I cannot think of a single animated film that came out in 2022. Really? You can't think of a single animated movie from this year? Not no, one. No, <laughs> except, well, it's because of the way I think about movies is I usually follow directors. So my brain was like, oh, is it Mitchell and the Machines? And I'm like, no, that wouldn't be one of the things. And now I'm like, that probably came out in 2021 or something like that. Um, Man, if you don't get this, people are going to kick you off this show. People are going to be so mad at you. They'll be like, how can this guy host an animation podcast and not Oh, is it Lightyear? Yes, it's Lightyear. <laughs> oh, that's right. I don't know if I'm going to watch that before Kevin and I record. Just be like, yeah, I like the Toy Story movies. Yeah, they're good. <laughs> Love Toy Story. Yeah, the first four were Toy Story movies. So Lego Movie was the fifth most. You know, mm, I consider I Lightyear a toy. Like, I consider it in the same franchise. I was going to include the Toy Story movies in your list yeah well i i mean i forgot i forgot the key thing which is 2022 <laughs> well it's 2022 but like i don't know i don't i kind of have ignored that i kind of put that film out of my mind it's like if you gave me all the hints that led to obi-wan kenobi i probably would not get obi-wan kenobi because well, i Obi-Wan just Kenobi is a TV like... show, so i don't even know if we'll be eligible for this list even though there's a letterbox page i haven't looked at it yet to see if it's on here it's not in these 10, to be clear. Obi-Wan Kenobi is not an option in these 10. Okay, good. And That's a good clue. It's not Obi-Wan Kenobi. All right, so let's see if you can get one finally just in one. Give me one last number. Eight. Eight. All right. Singing in the Rain. Mame. The Bandwagon. Guys and Dolls. Top Hat. Funny girl? No. So you didn't get in one, but let's see if you get it before you get the, the year. <laughs> mm. The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Nope. The year is 1969. Camelot? Nope. Your next movie you get is Mamma Mia. Hello, Dolly? Yep. Wow. Hello, Dolly. Why'd you watch that? Yeah, well... Funny you ask. But first, before I answer that, I just want to get this out of the way. The other seven movies I, I watched this week or that were eligible this week were Jojo Rabbit, Jurassic World Dominion, Strictly Ballroom, Finding Forrester, Quo Vitis, Top Gun Maverick, and the Bob's Burgers movie. All right. Um, as for your question why I watched Hello Dolly, uh, I had a pass to the 70mm Festival in Chicago where if I hadn't had COVID, I would not be recording right now. I'd be watching West Side Story in 70 millimeter. But here I am. Uh, (laughs) But they had a one-off screening of Hello, Dolly! on 70 millimeter because apparently Disney... Well, they booked it in 2020 before the Fox merger went through all the way. And one of the screenings got canceled. And they're like, Disney, can we have it? They're like, Disney's, of course, like, no. No way. Uh, But like... You know, they're like, well, please, because I don't, I don't, I'm, I don't know the negotiations. I wasn't in the room for it, obviously. <laughs> but from what it sounded like, they're like, you're allowed to screen it once because that you had one showing canceled because of COVID. You know what I mean? So I went to the one-off showing of Hello Dolly in 70 millimeter, and I regret mm. to say I have the basic take that most people have on it uh, critically, which is it falls apart because of Barbara Streisand's casting. Because I think Hello really? Dolly as a piece of theater. Have you seen Hello Dolly like ever on stage? Yeah, I mean, I've seen The Matchmaker, but I don't think I've ever seen, like, really watched Hello, Dolly. To me, I watched I watched Hello, Dolly when it was on tour, and Betty Buckley played Dolly. Uh, and obviously, Bette Midler played her in the big revival that was famous, and Carol Channing 
played her in the original. But, you know, it's like she's an older woman who doesn't know if she's going to get remarried. So if you cast Barbara Streisand in that role, and when she's like 24 or 25, of course I'm going to, when she's like, I don't know if I'm going to get remarried. I'm like, of course you're going to get remarried. Like, you're Barbara Streisand. Like, no, mm. one, like, don't, don't be like, you're getting too old to get married again. You're not. And it just kind of like, because Hello Dolly is really funny and the movie's still pretty funny, but it's like all the emotional depth is taken out of it when you cast like Barbara Streisand at that age. Barbara Streisand today would be perfect. Or, I've also said that to me, a dream project of mine to see happen would be a re-ad, like a remake of it from the director of Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again with, uh, Meryl Streep as Dolly. Cause I think Meryl Streep would be a great Dolly as someone who thinks mm. Meryl Streep can be very overexposed. I think she'd be fantastic in Hello Dolly. I will say, and I'll probably actually talk about this when we talk about Wally, whenever we get, a, we'll get around to Wally, is that watching this movie with the idea that this would be the only movie to survive 700 years is such an interesting thing to do because it's just like, it's very adequate. You know, it's not bad. It's not good, but it also is like, oh yeah, it makes sense why this would, uh, resonate with someone who only has this as like to look at, you know? <laughs> um, if you have nothing else, this will be the movie that speaks to you. Yeah, pretty much. But also, the other thing I want to say is my audience cheered at a certain cameo in this more than they cheered at any cameo in Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness, which is um, Louis Armstrong has a cameo in this, where honestly, I was like overwhelmed with emotion when he was on the screen, because I feel like everything you see of Louis Armstrong is like somewhat degraded just because of how old it is. Even like a crisp album is going to have like some weird recording issue in it, probably. But then seeing it in, like, 70 millimeter in the master that was struck in, like, 2004 or 2005, it's just like, wow, there he is, like, in like in full Technicolor on the screen, singing with Barbara Streisand, and it's like, mm-hmm. it's not like, it, it, if, it's not to the degree of seeing him live, but, like, it feels as close as you're going to get today, you know? Because, obviously, you can't see Louis Armstrong live. All right, give me the game. You're giving me the pride list, right? Because that's what I wanted last time. Um, yeah, if I pull it up. And it's still June, technically, even though this episode will come out after June. But it uh, is still Pride Month. Every month is Pride Month. Let it's me... true. My game is the game of lists. And it is that until we think of a better name. But it is the game where I look at some list online of movies that someone has compiled... I choose two movies, and then Danny tries to guess which one is higher on that list. Last time, we did the BFI's Top 100 Films of All Time, and this time, I have chosen, for Pride Month, the Top 200 Best LGBTQ Plus Movies of All Time list on Rotten Tomatoes. So, first two movies are The Prom and Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, okay, so my gut feeling is that you might be tricking me, but I'm gonna go Rocky Horror just out of like sheer like hope. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, no, no. It is it is Rocky Horror. Okay, Rocky good. Horror I was thought you might be doing reverse psychology on me. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, honestly, I picked those two because I thought that Rocky Horror would be a little less critically acclaimed, like. I don't know. I don't know how Rotten Tomatoes really takes these things into account. Or a lot of probably a lot of the reviews on Rocky Horror are not when the movie first came out, so I assumed it would be higher than The Prom. If it was contemporary reviews, it'd be a bit tougher. But considering I know Rotten Tomatoes doesn't really like ever put a hard stop of when you can add a review, you know, I'm I'm gonna assume it's Rocky Horror. (laughs) Well, that's something. This this is the game of lists and not um not the game of Rotten Tomatoes. Well, so. I mean, if it's a list on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> just saying, if it's a list on Rotten Tomatoes, uh... Yeah, I know. <laughs> Our next two are The Imitation Game and Love, Simon. Ooh, that's actually tough. I feel like they're both, like, the type of, like, mainstream LGBT movie where a lot of critics will give it a passing grade just because, like... You know, representation matters. To be clear, I actually like both these movies. I just think they're both, like, good. They're not, like, great. Mm. 
but I wouldn't have bet they both have high Rotten Tomato scores. Mm. Um, I'm going to guess, and I don't know if you have the Rotten Tomato scores on you on this list, but if you don't, I'm just going to say what my guess would be. My guess is that Love, Simon probably comes in around 88 or 89, but Imitation Game is like low 90s, so I'll go with Imitation Game. Um, well, Imitation Game is actually 89%, and Love, Simon is 92%. Oh, so I mixed them up! Ugh. All right. Yeah. I guess that makes sense, though, because the thing is, like, not that... We can always use more movies about the LGBT experience, but uh, the Imitation Game, there are way more Oscar dramas about it, you know, than there are teen rom-coms, especially five years ago. I think that's when Love, Simon came out, so... Mm-hmm. All right, I'm just going to do, like, a hard one. I don't know if you'll think it's interesting or, or whatever. Um, the Handmaiden or The Power of the Dog? I haven't seen The Handmaiden. Um, oh. So thanks for telling me it's an LGBT movie. No, I, fi- I knew it. I knew that. Um, <laughs> it's a spoiler to tell me the premise of a movie. Uh, technically, actually, I know a lot of is, people oh, were man, like... Oh, man, I guess that is kind of a spoiler for The Handmaiden. Well, I, I mean, I think a lot of people told me The Power of the Dog was a, it was a spoiler to say like it was about gay cowboys. So Yeah. But that's kind of what the movie is, so it's... Well... I'm gonna go... I'm gonna go with The Handmaiden. Well, The Handmaiden has 96%, and The Power of the Dog has 94%. However, on this list, The Handmaiden is number 8, and The Power of the Dog is number 7. That's probably because of the number of reviews. Yes. Um, That's usually how they determine that. I like that you were able to provide, like, real wisdom for yeah I, I i was a little addicted to rotten tomatoes in my youth and by my youth i yeah. mean probably like when i was in college a couple of years ago <laughs> five years yeah. ago um all right so Those shall we games. talk about the brave little toaster yes this is our first detour episode and to recap to the listeners what a detour episode means this means this is not an official pixar product this is not an official pixar movie however the connection to pixar is According to Wikipedia, which ha- is, has sources on it, I'm not just quoting Wikipedia, is that this was originally pitched to be the first CGI film by John Lasseter. However, <laughs> this is actually uh, my favorite. The quote is, at the time, he pitched the animation administrator and the Disney president, Ron Miller. And Ron Miller asked him how much it would cost, because he wanted to do it with CGI, like, how much this would cost. And Laster's like, it's not going to cost any more than a traditionally animated movie. So Ron Miller was like, no thanks. The only reason why I'd use computers is because it's faster and cheaper. So if it's just as long and just as expensive, no thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, so then John Laster was fired. And then this was put on something called Hyperion F- Pictures, which was an animation division kind of of Disney, but... Not really. It was, it was. It's kind of hard to describe. But this is sort of a Disney movie. There's a reason it's not on Disney Plus. It's like in a weird, uh, just a weird. Well, area. It's, this, it's really this, not a Disney movie, I don't think, because it was an independent production made by Hyperion. No, no. Okay, so it's not. But in the U.S., it was always distributed by Disney. Like it was on Disney VHS tapes. I remember very distinctly as a kid getting ads for like First Night for Christmas and then Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars. Um, but that's the thing, though, is the sequels are this... actually Disney products, not the original. Well, all I'm saying is this company has an affiliation with Disney. They actually are still around today, although it looks like they must have just been revived. No, yeah, yeah. It was dormant since 2007 until they, it was just recently revived to produce the Proud Family show that's on Disney Plus right now because it oh. made the original Proud Family show on Disney Channel. Um, wow. The Hyperion yeah. was putting out nothing but bangers, and now people are, like, realizing I it. mean, if you look at their films, their film slate is not great outside of uh, The Brave Little Test. Oh. And honestly, looking at the TV shows, the only one I recognize is The Proud Family. <laughs> so... Oh, okay. <laughs> but, yeah, not only is John Laster initially intended to direct this as CGI, this was made at... Um, no, yeah, no. It says on Wikipedia this was financed as an independent production by Disney with the help of TDK Electronics, which makes sense because there's ads for TDK in the film. 
and the video distributor CBS Fox. This was budgeted at $6 million, so it is a low-budgeted animated movie. But I meant to say, the other Pixar connection here that's really big is Joe Ranft wrote the story of this. Joe Ranft is considered the fourth member of the Pixar original brain trust, other than the three that we did our episode student films on, which are Andrew Stanton, P. Doctor, and John Lasseter. And the reason Joe Ranft never directed a film is pretty much he died young. He died in 2005 when he was co-directing Cars. And he probably, I, I assume like other Pixar directors who've gone on from co-directors, he would have probably directed a film for Pixar afterwards. You know what I mean? If yeah. he was just yeah. on his way. But he's a big Pixar guy. He wrote Toy Story. He helped write A Bug's Life. He actually also co-wrote Rescuers Down Under, which we're not going to cover on this podcast. Because another episode, out. another time we say we're not going to cover the Rescuers Down Under. No, 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 because the difference with uh, that one is that that is a pure Disney movie. You know, like, if a Pixar director just went over to Disney Animation Studio, sorry, Disney can have them. We're not we're not going to cover Disney Animation. Mm. And there's yeah. sequels to those, too. We're not going to cover the sequels either, because the sequels were made ten years later, <laughs> which I think is really funny. And also, I'll be honest, I don't really... I, I enjoyed this experience of revisiting The Brave Little Toaster. I don't think I want to watch the direct-to-video sequels to The Brave Little Toaster after enjoying this that much. Maybe well, you disagree. I I mean, I don't disagree, but I actually think that I, have, I had never seen this movie before, and I was confusing it with, like, The Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars or something like that, because I remembered those characters that I see now on the covers of the Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars VHS thing. But I had never seen this movie before, so that's that would be my reason to watch them, is just because that was actually my childhood, and that would be me going back and being like, oh, this is actually what I thought. This was us deciding to watch a movie that we thought that we had seen, and I had never seen this. Uh, I, I, I don't speak for yourself. I've seen this before. I do oh. not remember all of it, but there are definitely moments of it where I was like, oh, yes, I remember this. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely here and there. Um, but those will come up as we get to them. There's a lot to talk about with The Brave Little Toaster, both in regards to my childhood and as a film. Uh, first off, what you I, I thought this was a good movie. Like, I thought this was good divorce from nostalgia. Especially when... Well, okay, let me rephrase. When you look at it as a proto-Toy Story, it's a good movie. And it's still a pretty fun movie for a kid's movie, too. Um, I think that it's really not a kid's movie. <laughs> yes, I mean, I, we can get into that, too, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just... Not because it's, it's like, secretly more adult. I think maybe calling it a proto-Toy Story is fine, but it's... You know, it wasn't a proto-Toy Story, it just was this thing that they did, and they reused a lot of it, but it wasn't like a proto-Toy Story, that's not historically how it went. I don't think it's a kid's movie, because I think that it is so, like, rudderless in terms of tone, that I just don't think it... It's not like a kid's movie where there are adult jokes in it, it's like, here's a scene that's, like, entirely adult jokes... And then here's a scene that's like this old experimental animation from like the 40s. And then here's this old scene where, or this here's this other scene where it's like a lot of kids jokes. And here's this other thing. And like, I think it's just, I I think this movie is a mess. And I think that's fine. <laughs> I think that's fine. It's just like, that's what this is to me is like, it's they just like strung a bunch of scenes together and it's not like it doesn't have a story, but just in terms of, like, theme and tone and arc, I feel like that is, it is, it is like, barely keeping it together in it terms is incredibly of the story episodic. it wants to tell. It is incredibly episodic. I'll give you that. It is, uh, I also would say that it really, uh, maybe this would bother me if I was, like, a parent in 1987. It didn't bother me as a kid. Not, not that I was around 1987, but when I watched this on VHS as a kid... But, like, the rules are not consistent at all in this movie. Because <laughs> a vacuum has to be plugged in to move, but then it doesn't, and then it does again, yeah. and it's like... <laughs> they really give up on the battery idea after that was such a big deal, like, 20 minutes ago. But, like, I don't know, I don't really... 
I don't really mind that much. Uh, I thought it was like, I thought it was a fun time. Like, you know, like, there's a lot of like dark moments in here that like ridiculously dark moments. <laughs> they, I also they just think, almost die in every scene. <laughs> and then like literally he gets electrocuted on purpose. <laughs> like yeah. the vacuum the, the I, little thought, I thought the vacuum tries to kill itself. <laughs> Can I also just say, calling this the brave little toaster, I think the vacuum was the bravest character in this movie. He dives in <laughs> off off a waterfall to save all of his friends when he's not even plugged in. That's that's my favorite quote from the Wikipedia article <laughs> is the part where they're like deviating from the original story, we felt like we needed to make the brave little toaster actually brave, and that's why he tries to sacrifice himself at the end. Well, it's like I we have just... to call him the brave little toaster, but we need him to actually be brave. I love just like, 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 it's just such a like, in a way, it does feel as an adult kind of cheap that at the end he's like, no, yeah, I'm going to fix this toaster as if anyone would ever do that. But it's also like, yeah, whatever. I'm not, I get that we can't just have the toaster die. (laughs) Like, especially when you see him like being torn apart by the gears. Yeah, I think, yeah. You know, you're going to get into the darkness in this movie. When you see the, the AC have his mental breakdown, yeah. <laughs> and the, and then the other and then the other appliances are like good. <laughs> yeah, like he was asking part. for it. Don't. Like, well, that's actually what I jerk. wanted to mention. What? Sorry. Oh no! I just completing that thought is is like they there's there's a lot of death in this movie. Yeah, and not just like the presence of death, like in the land before time, or like the threat of it. Like things die on screen a lot. There's a lot of disturbing moments in this movie. There's yeah. a lot of outright like attempted murder, uh, and I like I don't know. I thought it was really fun. Uh, like you know, like, um, what I was gonna say is the main thing to me actually was gonna say when I say it's proto Toy Story. Is what I think is interesting about the characters in this movie, and it's similar to Toy Story in a sense, is that all of them, like, kind of hate each other. <laughs> like, they're all really rude to each other. Like, Blanky's just like, I want to snuggle up with you guys. And they're all like, no, get away from me. <laughs> like, they're all just terrible to each other. And eventually they get better to each other, probably because they're, like, constantly almost dying. <laughs> I don't think that really happens. I really, like... I don't see that growth in any well, of it's them. Well, kind of, it's kind of just like a switch. It's really just kind of a switch that happens. I think it's when they go to the, like, the, like, spare parts guy. Afterwards, they're not really mean to each other anymore. Mm-hmm. But you're right that it's not really developed. It just happens. <laughs> yeah, that's how I felt about if, I don't know, we can't, like, devote segments to each of the show's different threads that it tries to follow. But one thing that really threw me related to this is the scene where Lamp is talking to the toaster about the toaster's like new friendship with Blanky. Yeah. And it's and and he's like, why are you suddenly so nice to Blanky? You were so mean before. And it's like, no, he wasn't. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like the toaster is pretty much nice to everyone. I I, well, I I don't know. The toaster's kind of a jerk. I think the toaster's also like I think the toaster should become a meme. And the reason I say that is because I think every time the toaster looks mad, it's very funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> like the, the best the face. meme face ever. Uh, a toaster is really well designed. Also, I, I have like, a question that's kind of important. Was Kirby a brand of vacuum? I think so. Because the reason I ask is because I thought it was like, that's weird they're, repre- they're um referencing Kirby, like, the video game character? No, yeah, it was a vacuum. Okay. Yeah. So, Kirby's named after a vacuum. I never realized, like, the video game character Kirby. Because, you know, like, because whatever, like, suck it, Kirby. I'm like, yeah, Kirby, good joke. And I'm like, wait, that's just his name. (laughs) There's so much in this movie that is like that, that I don't think, that's another reason I don't think it's a kid's movie, is that, like, you know, why is the radio always talking about Roosevelt? You know, you kind of, you need a lot to, well, you don't need a lot, but you need to know what they're talking about. 
the, the whole thing really doesn't make any sense. Let's be real. <laughs> like, that's, that's what I'm it's saying. Enjoyable. It's like, enjoyable. This mo- I'm not, I guess I can't say that it's not enjoyable, but that's what I'm saying is like, this movie is just off the rails. <laughs> like, every scene changes the rules of the world. Now, I have to get to my personal health in the room here. Which is what I said last time we recorded when I was like, I'll have a lot to talk about this, I already know. In that, I feel like I must have been obsessed with this movie when I was like two or three years old. Because my favorite toy when I was a kid of all my stuffed animals was my yellow blanket, which I named Blanky. Which, let me tell you, watching this, I don't know how that stuck into my young subconscious to name my blanket Blanky. And the reason, okay, to be clear. I understand that naming a blanket blanky is not, like, unique to this film. (laughs) I am well aware of that. That said, I'm pretty sure, because I know what my blanket looked like, it looked exactly like this blanky, other than the thing was, besides a knob, it, like, had this part at the end where you could, like, I don't know, like, tickle yourself with it? I don't I really don't know how to describe it. Mm. And I know I got the commercial for this all the time on my VHSs, and I'm pretty sure I had a VHS tape of this, so I can't assume... That blank, my Blanky's name came from this Blanky. Interesting that you made that connection, because I never really got what Blanky's head was made out of until I was reading about this movie for this watch, and I realized that it was, like, it's an electric blanket. Well, I only really recognized it because during the thing, you know, when they, like, do their Toy Story... That's the other thing where it feels very proud of Toy Story, like how they have to freeze when they're in the room. Oh, yeah. That's when I noticed it was like that, too. Um... I wish I had more to say about Blanky, like my Blanky. I was ready to talk all wax on poetically about Blanky. About, about how, your Blanky? Yeah, about my Blanky. It was about a how while I ago. When I cut it, when I chewed on it, when my dog chewed on it, and I got mad at my dog, like stuff like that. Like, Only you can chew on it. <laughs> Tell that story. Keep talking about Blanky. Keep talking. I'm, well, I'm curious about the time that you just caught your dog chewing on it, and then you were like, no, only I can chew on this. Well, no, 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 there was a difference. When I chewed on it, it was like, you know, like you just, like you're a kid, you're just kind of sucking on the end of it, you know? You're not really like biting off pieces. The dog mm-hmm. chews on it, it's biting off pieces. There's a difference. It's like when my dog chewed up our VHS copy of Arthur's Perfect Christmas. <laughs> like that was a, that was an overnight I was mad too. <laughs> I'd feel that way about Arthur's Perfect Christmas. We'll never talk about that movie, but that was another like movie that really did some things to me emotionally when I was a kid. Like, there's some real trauma in that movie. I agree, and I think there's some, um, I think there's a, oh wait, no, that's not this. Sorry, I was gonna say, there's some real trauma in this too, but I was realizing, I was thinking about the other thing I watched today, which was Miss Marvel. Uh, so, not hmm. the, I mean, there's trauma in this. There's sure a lot of trauma in this. Well, I actually had that's a note about Arthur. Trauma. I had my own what? note about Arthur too, which is the other thing I think this movie really did to me, and it's during the, uh, the worthless scene. I was trying to remember what the name of the song was. The worthless song. Um, is that when I was a kid, you know, and maybe I feel like this is a universal thing. And the reason I bring this up is I, I'll, I'll get to my point, but I want to talk about the Arthur Marathon. There's a couple months ago, PBS ended Arthur and they had a marathon live streamed on the internet of all the episodes. I watched a couple of them. And one episode that really stood out to, well, honestly, a lot of the, all the episodes like gave me like this big emotional feeling. In a sense that I, well, the ones I'd seen before, you know, the ones I'd seen before, like, gave me a huge emotional, like, whoa, like, I remember feeling, watching this and feeling what I felt as a kid watching this. And one that stood out to me in a negative sense, and I think I might have texted you about this at the time, is there's an episode where Arthur and their DW, they have their car, and their car, they've had the same family car since Arthur was, like, two years old. And the car breaks down. And the episode's about trying to buy a new car and Arthur refuses to buy a new car because he thinks the old one can be fixed even though the mechanics like it can't be. Now, the logical ending for this episode is to have them buy a new car and Arthur actually be like, you know what? This is okay because that's the point of a show like Arthur. It's to teach you, like teach kids how to handle with like changes in their lives. But unfortunately, this is the episode of Arthur where they got the car talk guys to guest star on it. So the way this episode ends is... Buster comes over and is like, why don't you call these guys up? Maybe they'll know what's wrong. So Arthur does. And they test the car. And the car talk guys are like, sounds like you got a rattle in there. And they're like, yeah, well, what is it? And at this whole time, you know, the mechanic's like about to tow away the car and only give them like $200 for it, you know, when they like spent way more money on it when they initially bought the car. 
and uh, and Arthur, I want to stress here, Arthur like is having nightmares during this episode where he's like, the mechanic is just a con man. He doesn't actually care about our family. Don't trust strangers, kids. Which, okay, fair. Don't trust strangers, kids, but maybe trust the people your parents are hiring to work on your car. Trust um, the car but anyway, talk guys. So, like, the kids, so the car's about to be towed away, and the car talk guy's like, wait, no, there's a rattle. They're like, yeah, we know, but what is it? No, you don't understand. There's literally a ra- baby rattle in the exhaust pipe. And sure enough, Arthur runs out, pulls Kate's rattle out of the car, and the car runs perfectly fine. And so at the end of the episode, it's like Arthur's like, their parents like, you just saved us a lot of money, Arthur, by convincing us not to sell the broken family car. <laughs> Which is like a terrible. All this to say, I'm pretty sure the worthless sequence in this movie subconsciously put in my mind that these cars, much like Toy Story, and we'll talk about with Toy Story, like toys are alive, so you gotta give them respect. But cars are alive too. So if you just throw away your car, they're going to die horribly. And that is what I think this movie probably really traumatized me with. And probably traumatized an entire generation with it. They had to do an Arthur episode about it, where it had a terrible lesson at the end of it. That said, actually, you're right to believe the brave little tester. <laughs> but that's my filibuster about the Arthur episode of the car talk, guys. Well, I agree. With, I agree with you. I think that it's really weird that these movies are, at, in some part, about being attached to objects. I finally watched Toy Story four the other day, and I feel like it kind of gets away from that. Um, but yeah, I think most of these movies are really weird in their like. In their, I mean, it's all metaphors for like people, but I, I do think I do think that they're they're weird because they're like, oh, don't throw away your stuff. It's it's important, but like, yeah, I mean, I, you know, obviously you learn that's not true. I mean, I also think the central metaphor works way better in um, Toy Story, where they're like toys which have childhood attachments to it, whereas in this one it's like. Nah, Mom, I definitely want the exact same appliances I had it as a kid for college. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I want my old vacuum. <laughs> it's so weird because I so absolutely disagree with you that it is a proto-toy story. But, like, how on earth does that exist if it's not a proto-toy story, you know? <laughs> like, why on earth would this kid want to take his old appliances with him if it wasn't somehow a reference it to It goes so story? much trouble to repair a toaster. Yeah, I, I gotta I, say, I love his girlfriend. His girlfriend is a great character because his girlfriend's <laughs> the one who's like, "Dude, what's wrong?" And also, like, he's—I just think it's funny because it's. And I think it kind of goes back to that boys' club of animation studio, but it's also just like she's like designed like Jessica Rabbit almost, and he's just like a nerd. He's just <laughs> he's like, schlub. I want to see my appliances. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh man, you don't get it. <laughs> and then she's like, can we just go? He's like, hold on, I'm fixing the AC. Even though I don't live here anymore. <laughs> I feel like that AC scene where he fixes the AC has to be like an executive note where it's like, the, the AC's death is too scary. You got it. You can't just leave it like that. <laughs> the AC scene is so funny. Yeah. The AC just died. <laughs> You're like... Man, it's I. I don't even remember like why that exists. I guess it existed to like create terror or make create like conflict without them leaving the house. But like every everything else creates conflict, so it's like why does that exist? Because <laughs> you think because you think it might be somewhere where it's like oh now the house is gonna get too warm for us to like live here and like maybe like maybe uh the battery and radio will go bad. Or, like, maybe the, uh, what am I thinking of? Maybe, uh, vacuums, like, bag will start really stinking even worse now that there's no AC. But no, it's just like, whatever. And then later on, after they decide to leave, you hear, oh, it's a good thing we're leaving. We're almost out of fuses. <laughs> it's like, what? Like, shouldn't that have been the reason you were leaving anyway? <laughs> I guess we should mention that, like, most of what we're saying doesn't need more context than we're giving it. But just in case yeah. you haven't seen it, the brave little toaster is about these appliances that <laughs> live... The plot. Here's the yeah, plot. well, no, it's, it's, it's a really simple plot. It's, like, we... Nothing that happens in the movie, like, really requires you to know what the plot is. It's all so disconnected, but just... 
in case anyone wants a, a hanger to put all of these images on, uh, Braid Little Toaster is about these appliances that live in like a summer cabin in the woods. And after a while, their master, as they call the little kid that lived with them, stops coming around. So they go looking for him and they find that he's like grown up and he's going off to college. And most of the movie is about their journey out of the cabin and trying to get to him. And then they get to him in New York and then there's kind of like a final... Final I, I actually really like, I think the third act is the best part of this him. because of just, I feel like that's when I finally embrace it's like how stupid it is. I love when movies do that where it's like, we finally made it this far and then as soon as they almost get there, we cut to the guy going, I want to go pick up my appliances back <laughs> at <get> the house. <laughs> yeah. And then they almost kill him. And basically, they almost kill him. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's such a great moment when the toaster like decides to jump into the gears because it's it's not cut there's not like a close-up or anything it just goes up to the top of the pile in the wide shot and then it holds for a second and then it jumps off and then you see this little speck flying down towards the gears what i also think is um I think the key, key, I know we mentioned a ton of difference, but the key difference here between Toy Story and this movie, specifically Toy Story 1, because I think that's what, the only thing you should compare it to, even though obviously there's some elements of Toy Story 3 in here, and Toy Story 2, but Toy Story, and I'd say this about all four movies, is smart enough to keep it to a scale that is logical. The biggest Toy Story gets is the airplane chase, which is pretty big. It's pretty big. I'm not going to say it's not big, but... Compared to, like, how huge this gets at points where it's like, imagine if Toy Story ended, like, Toy Story 1 ended with somehow Andy's about to be killed. <laughs> the toys are with him. And Woody's like, I gotta stop this. Like, <laughs> like just imagine how, how different a movie that is. <laughs> And there was also, like, uh, Fantasia-esque singing fish scene. <laughs> Such a weird happened. scene. <laughs> the whole movie's weird. It's such a weird movie. <laughs> Which is why I like it. I like that this is a bizarre thing that was like, yeah, we'll put it on VHS for kids to buy. Sure, why not? Sure. Kids will like this, right? <laughs> I do really think that some of the things that John Lovitz as the radio says are really funny. Like, because, I mean, it's just because of my humor, I guess, but, like, most of them don't really make sense. Some of them kind of do, but then there's one line where he's like, we're hopeless, like, a bunch of hairless rats with one leg. And I was like, all right. <laughs> maybe that's, I like, maybe uh, that's about you I, as the I, radio having one him. antenna. What I noticed about him is that he pretty much gives the exact same speech after Lampy is brave and then gives the exact same thing to the vacuum later on. Kirby. <laughs> <laughs> also, yeah. can I just say, I'm shocked looking at Kirby's voice after being thorough Ravenscroft. Cause yeah, I, man. I legit thought it was like, my entire time, even though obviously I knew it wasn't him because then this came out, but this movie came out today, it's the J.K. Simmons role. Like, it's very J.K. Simmons. <laughs> Yeah. Although that's what I do remember from my childhood because I guess I mean I'd have to look at the voice actors, but like maybe Thurl Raven Raven Thurl Ravenscroft was alive when the sequels came out. But like I definitely associated that voice with Kirby. It looks like yeah, he was in um Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars, along with DeForest Kelly. Oh my gosh. Hey. Wayne Knight is in this one. The Toy Story streams are crossing. Also, speaking of Wayne Knight, uh, we got to talk about the segment that reminded me of Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 1 at the same time, which is when our heroes, again, going with such big scale, imagine if you were in the first Toy Story movie, when Woody and Buzz are trying to get home, they get stuck in quicksand and almost, like, they, they, they die on screen. <laughs> yeah, and the, oh, well, again, you might mention this, but go on. And then we get a guy who looks like Al from Toy Story 2 walk up and rescued them from the quicksand, going, finally, some appliances! And then he goes into a monster truck! And oh, dead. yeah. 
<laughs> that was probably my biggest laugh of the movie, just to realize that this guy had a monster truck. It's and never he has really a dog named why. Quadruped that we never meet again. That my entire f- sequence is so like the whole. We keep saying this movie's so weird, but that sequence is probably <laughs> the weirdest moment of the movie. I like when. Wait, wait, do you mean like after he picks them up or when they're sinking? No, after it. After. Um, well, I, I do want to say the when they're sinking, the line that Blanky says, <laughs> when he, and he's like, "I'm not afraid." I was like, "Whoa." <laughs> <laughs> it's like yep, they're all just We're dying. Of what Blanky? <laughs> what are you talking? I also about? just like the part, and it makes sense. But like you know, they fall apart, and they they all fall down the waterfall, and the vacuum jumps in after them. And then once the vacuum saves them all, they're like, "Thanks, vacuum." But Toast is like, "I'm sorry, guys. I almost killed us all." <laughs> <laughs> no, like, don't worry. That- it wasn't your fault. And like, yeah, it wasn't his fault. I don't know why you're letting him lead the way. <laughs> I mean, Vacuum's obviously the strongest, but I'm pretty sure, like, we've kind of proven that if Blakey can just get himself under a rock, he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> can you... What What was your favorite song? <laughs> uh, um, let me look at them again. I thought the songs were the weakest part of it. By far. They were uh, so bad. But my favorite was B-Movie. I think mine was worthless for reasons we already talked about. B movie, I do want to talk about. I think B movie is just such like a. That's another like, th- reason I don't think it's a kids movie. What? Because Peter Lorre like, shows it's up. Full of well, it's just full of references like that, and it's not just the Peter Lorre type that is in a lot of kids movies. It's the the overall, you know, just the the overall. A lot of the jokes in that sequence kind of depend on knowing who stars are, you know. Yeah, I get that, but it's something where it's kind of like Looney Tunes, you know, where you watch old Looney Tunes shorts and these stars show up, and it's just funny that, like, there's this weird caricature there. That said, I, I think Looney Tunes shorts are way better at it than this is. Um, this yeah, point, I, I was mean, just like, why is Peter yeah. Lorre? <laughs> like, who's this joke for? <laughs> it's to give I'm, Phil Hartman more lines. This is the first film ever, uh, animated movie ever shown at Sundance. It was uh, the last next one was a uh, 2001 Waking Life. <laughs> the director claimed that he was told he almost won the uh, Sundance. Uh, what's the sun- grand jury prize? Is that what it is? <laughs> it said, yeah, he said uh, he was told by the judges that it's the best film, but they don't want to give it to a cartoon. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know the name of the other film that he mentioned, but I have a. F- I. I don't know, man. I you know I could not tell you what films have won at Sundance the last few times. Didn't Coda win? Oh, maybe. I don't know. That's the only one I could think of. Actually, now I'm reading about the release, and this is interesting because it sounds very uh, similar to what's going on now. Not a deal this is worse, is that... So, they tried to sell theatrical distribution rights in the U.S., but an art house picture, a place called Scorus Pictures, took it and was going to do evening shows for college students. However... Disney did not want competition, so they moved the premiere date on television up, which prevented it from being successful in theaters. Sounds uh, very similar to what they've been doing with, uh, you know, Pixar movies recently, moving up their Disney Plus dates, you know? Mm -hmm. All right, The Pretty Little Toaster. I enjoyed it. I think there's probably more we could really break into here if we wanted to. What? All right, who's your favorite character? Oh, uh... Has to be the appliances. Can't be uh can't be like the the girlfriend or the master. Why isn't sorry, there a parody of the master poster with this guy in it? I'm sorry, could say, you repeat that? Well, I'm gonna talk about something else anyway, deal with it. Right. Uh just to bring up our old question about gendering appliances, there seems to have been a lot of debate over if the toaster was a male or a woman. Uh however, most official sources describe the toaster as male. Even though it's voiced by a woman. I think that the toaster is really... It's so... It's The toaster totally does not register as, like, a young kid to me. The toaster, Rhett, honestly, is, is like, very androgynous. Yeah, I would say the toaster is just, like... Like the starfish in Nemo. So who's your favorite appliance in this movie? Of the main five? You can't say the air conditioner. <laughs> uh i'm i think i liked i i mean honestly my favorite was like 
I think my favorite is the lamp because the lamp seems like I think the lamp's character changes the least throughout the whole thing like his he doesn't really have an arc but I just really get his character in a way that I don't quite have a handle on the other ones like does Toaster dislike Blanky? Does he not dislike Blanky? I don't like Blanky because I think Blanky is kind of annoying. Um, and I think that the radio is just kind of all over the place, and I think what? that... Why is Blanky annoying? You don't think it's natural for blankets to want to snuggle up with other people? They're blankets. It's I think snuggling is natural. I think that, like, this is, this is me as not a parent, like, watching this movie. I feel like this movie is just full of things that, like... It would be, it would be inconvenient if children emulated them. I think about that a lot, and I think I mean, you know you, Lampy you does actually... not one thing; he gets electrocuted to save everyone. So, that... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there there are a lot of things like that, but like I don't know, you might have a different opinion about this, you know, working with children. But I mean, I I do think that there are a lot of things that you know you pick up from movies. And it's just, you know, it's not like good or bad, but it's just how you relate to the world. Um, and I think, you know, it's it's like everything is not as good as Phineas and Ferb. This is a movie about appliances and, and people that are just like whiny jerks to each other nonstop. And I think Blanky is the most like that, like, no, zero optimism. I can handle emotion. I think Blanky is a little bit too complainy for me. And, I think... and would, would I want young people to see that? I don't know. Well, I'll say my favorite character is Kirby. Kirby's good. His grumpiness good. is needed. It's very needed in this movie. Kirby seems like the only adult. I think Lampy seems like an adult. He's just, like, the drunk uncle, you know? Like, I think Lampy qualifies as that. Radio, radio's the only one here just that does not really qualify, like, as a... Like, these other ones all have radio's very human personalities, person. and then there's the radio that's actually a radio. You know what I mean? What I like with the, the toaster... The faces of toaster make toaster seem like much more of a jerk than I think the toaster is. What? I think the toaster's actions are not the actions of a jerk. I think the toaster is a coward. So he's I think not that a is brave the one thing about the toaster that is like an actual arc is that there's the moment where the toaster drops them off the cliff and then becomes brave later on. I mean, I guess I don't know. Is he brave? He's a, like I I I I look at this whole movie right, and again the third act is different than the other two significantly because. The entire thing, like, up until the third act, our characters are active and trying to get to their goal. In the third act, they get to their goal and are immediately almost killed. So, like, <laughs> and then in the process of almost getting killed, they almost kill their master, who is not weirded out by the fact that this picture of himself as a child is in here, <laughs> in this grave, this, uh, <laughs> junkyard. Wait, I do. Yeah. All right, wait. I want to talk about... I, I don't want to pursue the line of thought right now. I want to talk about one other character that we didn't talk about, who I think is the definition of cheating in this movie in its world, and that's the TV. <laughs> but Explain. Like, I do like the TV. I think the TV is interesting, but I think the fact that TV exists like as a human that's stuck inside a box is very weird compared to everything else here. Yeah, I mean, it's... You know, that's a cool idea. I I think that we really forget that like maybe this wasn't such a an accepted trope before Toy Story. So that's where we're coming from a lot is like we know the rules and these are what they are, but I you know back when they in 1987 these didn't exactly exist, so it was a little bit looser. Yeah, I so guess I agree I, I they... agree with you, but I like that they got a little weird with that. Yeah, that's true. Like, the weirdness is appreciated. What isn't appreciated is, as I already mentioned, the lack of consistency with, like, the plug. Or, like, I forgot to mention this also, the uh, the refrigerator at the cabin is not alive, but the refrigerator at his apartment is, you know? Yeah. Uh, the apartment 8113, which is a number we'll see a lot on this podcast. 
What did you think of the music in this movie? Like the music, music, or like the the songs? Well, the 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 soundtrack, not the songs. I'm thinking about the soundtrack because there it did. I thought it was good. In the moment, I thought it was good, but I would not be able to like single out a moment where the music stood out to me. If that makes sense. But I remember yeah. thinking it was, it was good while I was but... listening to it. Would you recommend the Brave Little Toaster? Um. To who and to why? Okay. Because I was going to say, context is key here. Would I show it? I don't know. Like, here's the thing. As we keep talking about how this isn't a kid's movie. But would I show this to kids? Depends. Would I show it to a kid at work? No. Would I show it to my... Would I... If a decent Blu-ray copy of it existed, and it was like $5, and I had my own kid, would I let them watch it? Sure. Why not? I don't think this is that traumatizing. Like, you know, like, it's as traumatizing as, like, Nightmare Before Christmas is. Or, like... Gremlins is. Maybe it's an eight-year-old movie, not like a two-year-old movie. You know what I mean? I guess I see what you mean. Yeah, so like, I don't know, I'd, I'd show it. Um, I think it's good. Like, historically it's interesting, and as a film it is good. Okay. I also wanted to say, before we really wrap it up, because I'll ask you your question too. Kevin Lima was involved in this film, who directed The Emperor's New Groove. There were a lot of big animation names in this movie, uh, in the production team. Uh, Kevin Lima, trying to find the other names on here, but I recognize them when they were in the credits, but I can't find them on the Wikipedia page. Oh, Glenn Keane, Kirk Wise, uh, Mark Dindle. Mark Dindle, sorry. Mark Dindle is who directed Emperor's New Groove. Kevin Lima directed mm. Tarzan. Uh, there are a lot of big name people on here. Mm-hmm. However, Mark, who would you recommend this movie to? <laughs> uh, I would. I would actually include this in a bill with like, if you like, it actually gave me like Fritz the Cat vibes. So you Friend agree the with pod, the, the original the distributor they got that said they were gonna look around at colleges to show this? Yeah. Because I feel like, you know, Fritz the Cat is is way out there, but I feel like this is kind of the same thing. It's like, if you want something, like, really, like, this is going to be a wacky movie. Like, watch it for how wacky it is. I think that's a good way to go into it versus the way I went in where I was like, all right, let me evaluate this as a children's movie. And then as I was watching it, I was like, whoa, like, not only have I never seen this before, like... This, I have to, like, change how I'm thinking about this. It's almost, it's, we're kind of, you know, still in the real phase of these filmmakers' career, if I can say something as pretentious. I think that it kind of explains a lot of the movie and how all over the place it is. It's like, all right, here's this cool thing, here's this cool thing, here's this cool thing. Let's put it all together. Yeah. I feel like... We're still there, so it's kind of it's neat as a historical artifact, and I think you show historical artifacts to people in college. Probably, yeah. probably a good college movie if you're like our age. Yeah, I would put this in an animation you know. course. <laughs> yeah, because I do. I actually do think that I thought this especially about some of the characters and some of the moments, like Young Master, and there's something where like people fight each other i think animation wise it's really interesting how they like i think the animation is really good i agree i think it especially for its budget too it gives i don't know it reminds me of my uh the bad direct video movies but like with actual personality if that makes sense yeah yeah all right that was the brave little toaster our first detour is done. Our first feature is done. Woo. Now, this week, we covered a proto-Toy Story movie that we disagreed on the level of proto-Toy Story-ness to it. However, next week, you know what we're covering? What? It's a film that is more proto-Toy Story than this. We are covering the Pixar short, Tin Toy. It has toy in the name. Looking for the Ocean, a Pixar podcast is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. I do the editing, and our artwork is done by Sarah Knopf. Yeah, and you can find us at Facebook at Looking for the Ocean, a Pixar journey. 
You can find us on Twitter at Pixar Journey and on Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod. You can also email us at Looking for the Ocean Pixar at gmail.com. If you want to know what I'm up to, everything is available on my website, markyoungperformer.com. You can listen to my other two podcasts, Wise with Ty and Dan and The Snub Club, wherever you can find your podcasts. You can also find me on Letterboxd at Blankments for all my takes on all of the movies. We'll see you next time. See you next time.